The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing out there? Good, awesome. Uh, my, name is, uh, my name is Mitch. I'm one of the pastors here, usually hanging out with some of the junior hires. So I see some, uh, some familiar faces out there. We have a lot of announcements, which we've been having for the last couple weeks, uh, but we're going to change things up a little bit. First thing uh, I want to announce is this, starting October 2nd, we are going to be changing it over to two services. So one of our goals here is to t- make big and, and, or take big and make it feel small, and our church is just getting pretty big, and we keep just adding rows of seats to the back of the sanctuary, and um, Back there, it just doesn't feel the same. You don't really feel like you're connected part of the body as you do up here. Uh, so we're going to be changing services to 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Uh, and we want to change it up a little bit. I just want to do something real quick. I want to take a little bit of a survey, at least for us to help, like, help us understand what service people think they're going to be going to. Okay? Because here's the thing. We've heard like, I think 95% of us have heard the same thing. Everybody's trying to go to the same service. And if that happens, it kind of ruins the whole point of doing the two services. So um, let's just do a show of hands. If you're planning on coming to the 9 o'clock service in the morning, why don't you raise your hand? Uh, I think we know how many hands are going to go up right now. But if you're planning on going to the 11 o'clock, go ahead and raise your hand. Hey, that's not bad. Aaron, make sure you look around. Should we change it, you think? 6.30 a.m., 8.30 a.m. There we go. Awesome. Okay, so you guys, smart people that run the church, Aaron, you can know what to do with those many hands. Um, Next thing is we had yesterday volunteer orientation slash training day. And let me tell you, there was an energy... And there was just a buzz as soon as everybody walked in that room. It was awesome. And it was a huge success. So I'm just thankful. Let's give a round of applause. All our volunteers. Everybody helping out. It's just, it was so much fun. There was like an inflatable jousting thing. And Jen Masters took it home. Beat up Walter, our tech. It was crazy. Uh, it was awesome. But that was very cool. If you're not serving Heritage and it's something that you, you maybe want to get plugged into the church, want to meet more people, get more involved, go to the info desk, let us know, uh, and we can get you plugged in. It's, it's honestly the best way to, to become, I guess, more a part of the, of the body. You just feel like you're uh, a part of the family here. Hey, it's just, just serving. So uh, info desk for that. Uh, next thing, I told you we had a lot, is the Women's Fall Retreat, uh, September 16th. Sign-ups end today. So... Women, if you're not signed up yet, but you've been meaning to, go to the info desk, sign up. It's the last day. I'll tell you what, last women's retreat, I was in the parking lot at the hub, and the women started piling out of the vans, and all I heard was amazing things. Just the Lord was doing awesome things during the retreat. So I have no doubt that it's going to be that way for this one as well. And then last, uh, last announcement for the morning is this. Today, uh, from... 12 to 4, our youth group is having a car wash at Food for Less. Uh, One of our students here, a a young woman at our church named Erica Winnie, uh, is is basically going off to train as a missionary in YWAM. So they're having this 
this car wash to raise support for her and her trips. I know YWAM is just an amazing thing. A lot of my friends have gone, and it's just been an experience um, that they wouldn't trade for anything and, and a huge opportunity for growth. So we're praying for that for Erica, but also if you have time today from 12 to 4, go get your car washed, and uh, go get your car washed for a donation and help her out. We want to send her off, uh, send her off well. So that's it for announcements. Um, I'm going to pray one more time, just ask the Lord to continue the work I believe that he was doing in worship that was just anointed. Uh, it just walk in this place and you know that the Lord is here and, and he's making himself known, he's manifesting himself. So I'm going to pray for that, we're going to jump into the word. Lord Jesus, even as that last song said, Lord, we just, we're crying out that you would just come and fill this place. And God, we know that you're here, but would you make our hearts aware? And God, right now, would you just prepare each and every one of our hearts to receive from you, Lord, as we lift up your name, as we glorify you, as we open the scriptures to find out what you've said. God, would you just be honored again, be blessed, but Lord, would you also bless us as we sit here, Lord, receiving your word. Soften our hearts, God pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, one last thing before we dig in. I just got to say I'm sad for a couple, a couple reasons this morning. One, it's the first Sunday of the football season in the NFL. So I'm super pumped on that. Uh, but I've seen a lot of Seahawks jerseys around. And I just wish they were red and gold. I had to throw that in there. Because I'm a Niner fan, you know what I'm saying? So... <clears throat> I was going to make a joke about it. Nope, discernment, discernment. Okay. <laughs> uh, if you haven't been around these last couple weeks, we're doing kind of a four-week mini-series on hearing from God. Now, that's a massive topic to tackle in four weeks. And, and as Pastor Jeremy uh, pointed out the first week, this is by no means exhaustive, but we've been looking at a couple areas in life that we have experienced or the scriptures uh, point to God just speaking in our lives. And so we've hit, um, first of all, we learn in Hebrews, we hit that Jesus is ultimately the way that God has spoken to us. Uh, yes, thank you, Mitch. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand because we're going to be in it. He's like raising the Bible. Don't forget the Bible. It is important. Um, that's next. So after, after we see that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, God in the flesh, the word of God, the language of God, Jeremy then pointed out to us that God has also spoken to us through the scriptures. So the Bible, it's, it's the ultimate authority in the matters of God speaking. Every single morning I can go and read this book and I can have a conversation with the Lord about what I'm reading and he's there teaching me. This is the word of God and this God has definitely spoken through the scriptures. And we also learn from Jeremy that the, the Bible also provides kind of guardrails, if you would, for all the other ways that God would speak. So whenever we hear a word from God, we test it, right? We go, all right, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? If God is calling you to leave your husband or wife for no reason, that's obviously not the Lord, right? Because the Bible teaches us that divorce is not something that God wants. 
Next is this, uh, last week Sam tackled hearing God in the indwelling spirit, uh, which I know he wrestled with all week, and it was super blessed. Ultimately, we learned that, as Second Peter puts it, we as Christians are partakers of the divine nature, not as in we are God or we are divine in ourselves, but that God the Holy Spirit comes, lives inside of us as believers when we put our faith and trust in him and are saved, and the Holy Spirit leads us, and the Holy Spirit speaks, and the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. We learn that he convicts us in the world concerning sin, but ultimately what Sam pointed out is that the Holy Spirit of God speaks and points us to Jesus, magnifies Jesus. So oftentimes we're sitting there like not moving in life because we're like, all right, God, should I buy the blue car or the red car? And God's like, I just want you to lift up and exalt Christ in your life. That's what I'm pointing you to. So Sam talked about the indwelling spirit. So we know that God has spoken to us through his son. The scriptures point to Jesus. The Holy Spirit does the same thing. God is speaking. And this is all really good news for me because it hit me yesterday that that the implications of this whole series, the fact that we're even doing a series on hearing God, changes everything. This is what it means. It means that we serve a God who's not distant. We serve a God, he's not disengaged, right? If you're like me, which you are, because you're a, peer, a person and therefore a sinner, you, I often think God's patience has to be running out eventually. Like, I've done so much that it has to be wearing thin, but the truth is, it has not run thin. God is not powerless, he's not done yet, his plan of redemption is still in motion, and the best news I think for me is that I've been saved, but I also get to be used by God as he continues to save and redeem people, and it's pretty awesome. That brings us to today, and um, when we were starting this series, Jeremy calls us all into his office, and he's like, hey, I think we're going to do a series on hearing God here are the four things that we're going to talk about. We've got the indwelling spirit, we've got the word, and we've got circumstance. And there's one more, but I forget what it is, Jeremy, sorry. Um, and he was like, hey, which one do you guys feel comfortable taking? And I was like, circumstance, right off the bat. And he's like, why? Uh, I think because I'm too dumb to understand when God is moving until after he does something really awesome. And then I can look back and be like, oh, that was Jesus. That's awesome. That's how he's worked. You know, there's, there's some people that you're sitting there like, they're spending three hours in the, in the prayer closet, which I really want to get to one day. But they're spending three hours in the prayer closet, and they're having this intimate conversation with the Lord, and it's awesome. But for me, oftentimes, I feel like I'm just walking through life, being like, I'm trying to honor you, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, something huge happens and awesome. And I look back on that experience and I'm like, wow, God was really moving through those circumstances. Again, I'm a little too blind to see it, but that's what God was doing. So that's where, that's where I was at with this series. I was like, circumstance it is. So that's what we're going to attack today. And to do that, uh, I want to go to a couple places in Scripture. Uh, first is Acts chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles... Open them up, Acts chapter 16, verse 6. When you get there, say, got it. If you're not there yet, say, getting it. 
we're going to be introduced to a character um, named Paul. If, you, uh, if you're new to this whole thing, new to the scriptures, let me tell you, Paul was... We're going to read about him. He's on a mission, ultimately. He's been given a purpose and a job by Jesus himself to go spread the good news about the Son of God to the rest of the world. So he's a Jesus follower through and through, but he hasn't always been that way. The book of Acts starts right as Jesus ascends into heaven and ultimately leaves his disciples and followers and the church just keeps spreading and spreading. But here's Paul, who's a Jew, doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah at all. But he actually hates Christians and he wants to persecute Christians. So he goes and he starts throwing Christians in jail. When the first martyr died for the faith named Stephen, Paul was right there. He was giving his approval to the execution. People were laying their coats right at Saul's feet. Saul and Paul, same dude, by the way. Um, he was he hated, he was just constantly opposing the church. But eventually God in Acts chapter 9 met him as Paul was on his way to persecute more Christians. He was struck blind by a great light, the glory of God. Was blind for multiple days. And he's like, okay, who are you Lord? And, and Jesus is like, hey, it's me, uh, who you've been persecuting. And eventually Jesus says this, you... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you for my glory. People are going to look at your life and say, isn't that the guy that used to hate Jesus, but now he's preaching the gospel? It's exactly what's going to happen. Paul, who hated everybody, everybody who loved Jesus, was now going to be used as a vessel to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. He got his marching orders from the king. That's exactly what he started doing. So context to where we're at, Paul is with a couple people, Timothy and Silas, and he's on a mission, if you would. He's just going wherever he possibly can to share the good news of Christ. And in this story, I just think it's perfect. We can see God working and orchestrating things in the background, in the circumstances. And I think we're going to see it clearly. So read with me in verse 6. It says this. And they, Timothy, Paul, and Silas, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to, to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Guys, we uh, think it's obvious to see already in these couple verses that God's at work behind the scenes. Okay, because here are these three dudes all about the gospel. They're going till the kingdom comes or till they die. And, and they're on their way, but immediately it says in verse 6 that the Holy Spirit had forbade them to speak the word in Asia. So they're going this way, thinking that they're, they're wanting to do the will of the Lord, but all of a sudden they get a check in the spirit of the heart, and they feel like God's telling them not to go that way. So what do you do? I don't know. You turn around, you keep walking to somewhere else, 
But then right after that, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them again. So, so God is just at work in this situation, and these men are living their lives with open hands, saying, God, my life is not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. Send me wherever you want me to go. So all of a sudden, Paul gets this vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come and help us. So immediately, I can imagine he's probably a little confused as to why God is stopping him from sharing the gospel. So he's probably super excited to go to this new place that God has called him to go. So they march on to Macedonia, and the first thing that happens is exactly what you'd expect to happen, I feel like, when God calls you to a new spot. In verse 11, it says this, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And I'm probably butchering these names. I just don't know how to say them. And the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So they're exactly where God has called them to go. And we remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. Where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. This is the first great thing that happened there. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you've judged me faithful, Lord, come and stay at my house, and she prevailed upon us. So, again, the fruit, right? If, if you and me are sitting here, and, and you feel like the Lord calls you to do something or go somewhere, the first thing that I would want to happen is to see fruit, God using me, working through me, using my words, whatever it may be, to bring people to repentance so that they're brought from darkness to light and they're saved. Okay, so immediately, I'm Paul and Silas and Timothy, and I'm thinking, Yes, we're obeying Jesus. He's saving people. This is awesome. But if you go back to Acts chapter 9, when Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, Jesus didn't just say that you're going to be used as a vessel to carry my name to the ends of the earth ultimately, but that you're also going to suffer much for my name. And the story of Macedonia takes a little bit of a turn in verse 16 right after this. It says this, as we were going to the place of prayer, we're met by a slave, a young slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many Days And this next part's my favorite because, again, I work with junior hires, so I kind of feel like Paul in this when it says, Paul, having been greatly annoyed, yes, I'm like, yes, Lord, can it be righteous? I think so. I think so. He turned to the Spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. So here's the beginning of a little speed bump in their journey. Okay, It's not all glorious here. People aren't just getting saved all the time. And they're just living in comfort. It gets a little rough. 
couple days, a girl screaming out, hey, these guys are servants of the most high God, and they just get really annoyed. Paul finally turns around, casts the spirit of divination out of her, but the consequences were huge because all of a sudden they realized that this girl had some owners, and they made a lot of money off her. So, of course, now their, their girl that, that tells, the, like, tells the future fortune teller, she's not making them any money anymore. So they get mad. They bring Paul and Silas before the magistrates. And it says this in verse 22, that the crowd joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates tore their garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. So having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now guys, remember, we're talking about God working and speaking and moving through circumstances, right? So right now, you have to think back and remember that God prohibited them from speaking the gospel in certain areas, but brought them here for a specific purpose. They're still being obedient to the vision that Paul got to go to Macedonia. But now they've been beat with rods, they got chucked in prison, and they got shackles around their feet. They're stuck in jail. But as we're going to learn in, in all these stories, I think the point of today is this, that God works, moves, and speaks through circumstances in everyday life for the glory of his name and for the good of his people. That's what we're going to learn today. Let's see what happens. I know this is a lot of reading. Stick with me. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Now pause. If, if I'm in prison for the gospel, I promise you, I, I'm so selfish, I know myself, that if I'm praying, the one thing I'm praying for is for God to get me out. You know what I'm saying? Like, all right, Lord, I'm your servant. I can't believe I'm in this situation. I'd be complaining and whining. Why am I here? That's what I'd be saying to the Lord. But Paul and Silas, uh, this is speculation, but by the rest of the story, they they were at peace, they were content, they weren't praying to get out of prison, but they were praying that through the circumstance, God would work to bring his name glory. Verse 26, it says, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, going back to me in the story, if I'm praying for God to deliver me from this prison, there's only one thing I'm doing if my shackles come off my feet and the doors and gates of the prison fall open. I'm gone. You know what I'm saying? I'm out of there so fast and unashamed. I'd be rejoicing and screaming, praising Jesus that he delivered me from that situation. Because here's the thing. In circumstance, in our life, oftentimes I'm crying out to God to change something in my life, change a situation, not for his glory or my good, but so that I can be more comfortable. Verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to killing him, kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. This is, blows my mind that they stayed. Verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for we're all here. 
And of course, that's an amazing witness, right? So the jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell before Paul and Silas. Then he brought, to, he, he, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said the famous answer, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And guess what? Even though Paul and Silas and Timothy were on this bumpy roller coaster with highs and lows they got beaten with rods and thrown in prison god redeemed it worked through the circumstance to bring glory to his name and it saved the whole he saved the jailer and his whole family pretty crazy pretty crazy again considering i would just run out of prison as soon as the uh as soon as the doors opened that would have been bad right the jailer would have probably stabbed himself he wouldn't have got saved his whole family wouldn't have got saved but these guys knew that in the midst of the worst circumstances possible they trusted that God was still in control and he was still working not just for their comfort not just for their pleasure but for his glory and their good I'll say it again God sovereignly works moves and speaks through circumstances in everyday life to bring things about for his glory and our good let's go to the old testament for a while what about joseph what about joseph right you got daddy's little favorite life was good the bible even says that his dad loved him more than any of his brothers and if you know that family there's a lot of brothers you know what i'm saying so he he even gave him a special coat of many colors like every i feel like every sunday in the kids ministry someone comes out with a picture of a dude in a coat of a lot of colors you know what i'm saying like it's just a story that kids are always always reading so joseph had it made and on top of that, he gets these funky dreams about like his family being sheaves of wheat and bowing down to him. He's thinking he's on top of the world. But just as you'd expect when parents play favorites and when you tell your brothers that they're going to bow down to you, which, by the way, side note, if you get a dream from God telling you that your family's going to bow down to you, just don't tell them. Just don't tell them. Please, because of course, they get jealous. Jealousy turns to anger, anger to hatred. Now they just want to get rid of him, right? So they, they wanted to kill Joseph, but instead they decided that that wasn't going to make him any profit. So they sell him off to these, like, these merchants driving by. They sell him off as a slave to these Macedonian people, and they get rid of him, dip his robe in blood, bring it to his dad, and say that he's died. It's a really bad circumstance, right? Really, really bad circumstance. But as you guys know, if you know the story, God was working. If not, hang on to your seatbelts. The story is crazy. So eventually, Joseph got sold to a man named Potiphar. He's a captain of the guard, an officer for Pharaoh. And, and, and he sees, ultimately, the Bible points out that everything Joseph did was successful because the Lord was with him. So in Potiphar's house, he eventually got put in charge of it all. Because Potiphar's like, oh, something, there's something different about that guy, something special. So Joseph goes from having it all to hitting rock bottom, being sold by his family into slavery. Now he's like climbed his way up by the grace of God to being in this high position in Potiphar's house 
But it gets bad again because you guys all know from the kids' wing too, there's a woman named Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife, right? The ultimate scripture in saying, look, flee sexual temptation, just run away just like Joseph. Because Potiphar looked at Joseph, thought he was a good looking dude, so she wanted to hold hands with him. Junior hires in the building. So, she really wanted to hold his hand, but he was like, nah. So he runs away, and his coat is left behind. Potiphar's wife didn't want to get in trouble, so she lies to her hubby and was like, hey, Joseph left his coat here. He tried to put his arm around my shoulder. <clears throat> Anyways. Just like David and Bathsheba, right? They held hands too. That's oh, well, anyways. Um, <laughs> so, eventually, Potiphar takes Joseph and is super mad and throws him in prison. Okay? Now, you remember that Joseph had these dreams about his family. He had this thing about dreams. So, while he's in jail, I'll try to make this a little quicker. While he's in jail, there's a couple dudes that worked right under Pharaoh that were also thrown in prison. They both had dreams that nobody could interpret. Joseph comes in, tells him exactly what the dreams are, are, mean. What's going to happen in the future? One of them dies. One of them gets restored to their position under Pharaoh. And, and eventually, as that guy is going back to his position with Pharaoh, Joseph's like, dude, remember me? can interpret dreams pretty cool so what happens a couple years pass the guy doesn't remember that joseph helped him at all until pharaoh the ruler of egypt has a dream that nobody can interpret at all and eventually the dude that got freed from prison according to joseph's interpretation of the dream says ah i know somebody he's in prison let's go get him he can interpret your dream Eventually, Joseph comes up, right? This guy's life. I don't even know how he's still like, I would just loathe my life, you know? Like so many highs and lows. But he eventually comes, interprets Pharaoh's dream perfectly, and tells him that there's a famine that's going to come. There's going to be a couple years of plenty, and then a couple years of famine. You better get ready for it. So Pharaoh says, Man, I need somebody to take charge of this whole operation. We need to save some food. Joseph. And he's like, awesome. So now, all of a sudden, from the pit of prison for multiple years, Joseph again is, is exalted, if you would, up to a place like second in command over all of Egypt. This guy's life. God is clearly working and moving and speaking through circumstances for the glory of his name and the good of his people. If you guys... <laughs> If you guys know what happened, eventually Joseph stored up enough food in the seasons of plenty, the years of plenty. When the famine struck, word spread really quickly. When everybody else ran out of food, word spread really quickly that Egypt had a bunch of grain. So people were coming from all over the, all over the, all over the map to try to get some grain. And then one day, who comes up to his door? None other than the brothers that sold him into slavery. Again. Because I'm in the flesh often. If I see my brothers that sold me into slavery, like the, everything in me would just want to take them out. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I can't believe you did that to me. I'm in a position of power. You need food. Sorry. 
You know what I'm saying? That's, again, that's not godly. But Joseph actually forgives his brothers. And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 50. It's, it's insane. Talk about God working in the midst of circumstances. After everything is said and done, Genesis 50 verse 20 through 21, it says, Hey, brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's, that's the place of maturity that I want to be at. When somebody wrongs me, when I'm in a situation in life that's just not fun, I want to be able to sit there and have peace, knowing that at the end of any situation, I can sit there and say, just like Joseph, that situation was horrible, or you meant that for evil against me, but guess what? My God is a sovereign redeemer, and he'll use any junky situation that you ever go through, and he's going to use it for the good. guys, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what to say because I'm going to run out of time eventually. Hold on, can I just say, Jeff preaches forever. Jeremy preaches forever. And it just so happens to be that this week, Jeff was like, hey, let's try to keep our sermons to 45 minutes, boys. <laughs> what? You say that now. You say that now. Jeez. Guys, we looked at these two stories, and I hope I'm just using narrative to show you guys that, yeah, no doubt God works, moves, and speaks through circumstance, 100%. We got an Old Testament example. We even got the New Testament example, which is where we're at in time. But I just want you guys to know that God is still speaking this way today. He's still doing the same things. And so I wanted to pull a couple points uh, just things that can kind of help us in this, in this uh, journey, I guess, to try to hear from the Lord as it relates to circumstance. Now, there's two ways to approach this. And as a Bible teacher, uh, the best things, the things that I want to spend all my time teaching on are, are the 100% authoritative truths of Scripture, okay? Like clear as day, black and white. What I don't want to spend my time on very much is opinions or experiences, okay? Like there's things that you can just hit a home run with and that all the things that the Bible teaches just clearly, plain as day, truth. Those are the things I want to, I want to uh, focus on. But here's the deal. When it comes to hearing from the Lord, even in circumstances, if you talk to 10 different people, you'll probably get like 10 different answers. Like, hey, how has God spoken to you in the last year? Uh, I don't know, right? Infinite possibilities, as long as we test these things. But what I wanted to do is say, all right, I can give you pointers, tips on how to hear from God, but truthfully, I'm not great at it. None of us are experts at it, but what I can talk about is the Lord and why we can expect to hear from him or or what he might be saying because really those are the truths that this all rests on anyways that's where our hope is at so first thing i want to look at is this i want to look at god as the sovereign redeemer okay how do we hear from god well first we have to understand and be willing to submit to the truth that god is a sovereign redeemer and he is in charge okay not you not me God 
is in charge. A couple verses, Psalm 115.3, maybe the coolest verse in all of scripture about this. It says this, our God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases. All right, that settles it, right? He not only made the world in wisdom, but the, uh, Hebrews says that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Okay, so he didn't just breathe everything into motion and now he's just way distant, disengaged like we were talking about at the beginning. But he is involved, actively engaged, involved in what's happening. And by his power, he's still holding everything together. Proverbs 16.9, man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Guys, if we don't believe in the head and the heart that God truly is over all things, and if we don't think that God is powerful enough to affect change in any circumstance, we can't possibly believe that he speaks through circumstances, right? Because then we just have a God that's out of control reacting to whatever's happening in the world. So I, I want you guys to know first and foremost that Jesus is completely and utterly in charge and in control. That's number one. And, and, we, and we see in these stories, even the worst of circumstances you can possibly imagine, our God is so good and loving and powerful that he takes all those and works them together for our good. That's insane. But there's so much hope in that. Like, we don't have to go through anything and say that it was wasted. Nothing at all is ever wasted with the Father. Nothing. Two, I want to look at his motivation. I've been saying this over and over again this morning, but God works things for his glory and our good. Well, what does that mean? So I was talking to my cousin one time, he doesn't know the Lord, and I was trying to explain how God just is worthy of all the glory and honor, and he says, no, nah, I don't want to worship a glory hog. I said, no, 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 you're missing the point. God does things for his glory, but he's not sitting there denying everybody else glory just so that he can have it all himself. He's not a glory hog in that way, but this is the truth, God has to uphold his glory as more valuable than anything else because if he exalted someone or something else or cared about someone or something else more than himself, he would in that be acknowledging that that someone or something is of more value and worth than he is. And the truth is that's just not true. You know what I'm saying? So God absolutely does everything with his glory in mind because he's going to glorify himself. He, he has to uphold his glory because he's ultimately the most glorious. Who, el who, else is, who else's glory is he going to work for? But he also works things for our good. And, and if you were here last week, then Sam talked about this a little bit. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. Because Sam hit it in Romans chapter 8. And we all know that verse, right? Like, for those who love God, he works all things uh, for the good. I, I'm like horribly butchered that quote because I always say it the other way. But... God works all things together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Okay, that's great. That's awesome. But is that what we think is best for us or is that what God knows is best for us? So what's our good? We're talking about, we're talking about sanctification. 
We're talking about God making us more like his son. We're talking about being drawn closer to him so that it's Jesus we treasure above everything else. This isn't, oh, God's going to work this out to get me the car I want. This is awesome. Or, or God's going to work this out to make me comfortable in this situation. Probably not. Probably not. But God has promised just as he saved you, just as he will glorify you one day, he will make you more like Jesus. God is about the business of our sanctification. So if we want to see God at work in circumstances, the first thing we got to understand is, yes, his motivation. What's he doing? What's he doing? Glory, our good. All right, we can trust him with that. That's awesome. And also to know that he's completely sovereign. Number three, and this is tough for me, um, contentment in every circumstance, right? I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but oftentimes when I'm begging God and, and, and just wanting him to change my situation or circumstance or even looking for God or trying to listen to what he might be saying in circumstance, I'm tuning my ear in because I'm discontent with where I'm at. It's like, I don't want, I don't want you to make me more like Jesus. I want to get out of this situation, God. Go back to Paul and Silas in prison, right? It's the classic example. What are they doing at midnight when they're in chains in prison with their backs bloodied up from getting beat with a rod? They're praying and they're singing hymns. What? God, make me like that. When Israel was in the desert, right after the parting of the Red Sea, like they've been freed from slavery. They think they're going to the promised land, but they spent 40 years in a desert. And I can tell you, they probably were not happy about that circumstance. But God was refining them and working things in them to prepare them to enter into that land. They had a lot of work to do in their hearts before he was going to bring them into this land. They were in the wilderness, and one of my favorite quotes that I've read over this last year is from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. He said this about the wilderness for us, relating that story of Israel. He says this, that the wilderness is the Oxford for God's students. I'll say it again, the wilderness is the Oxford for God's students. It's very possible and probable in love that God has you walking through a wilderness Okay, and you have to think back, in the, in the Old Testament, while they're in the desert, God's leading them. Okay, pillar of fire by night, pillar of smoke, a cloud by day. They're following the Lord, but he purposely has them in a desert, and he often purposefully has us in the wilderness so that he can refine us and mold us and shape us more and more into the image of Christ because that's what he cares about. That's what's good for us. So instead of me sitting in an uncomfortable situation and crying and begging and throwing fits because God won't bring me out of it, I need to mature a little bit and say, okay, God, you are leading me. Please, my life is yours. Do whatever you want, but I need to trust you because you know what's better for me than what I know. I don't even know. I think I know what's best, but God, I need to put my, hand, my life in your hands. Say, it's yours, do with me as you will. Even if that means going through the wilderness, because the truth is, in the wilderness, we still have Jesus. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns because they're saying, hey, I don't care where I am, nothing can take me away from the love of Christ. I don't care what circumstance may come, if I have Jesus, I have everything I need. And hear me out, that's a really tough 
spot to be in, but there's an intimacy with the Lord in those situations when you can really cry that out as they were and trust God in any circumstance and be content. Now, one side note on that, I'm, I'm coming, to a, coming to a close pretty soon, but I just want to say something that really hit me two months ago. Jeff and I were, uh, were at Acts 29 lead pastors retreat. It was all these lead pastors and their wives, and then there's Jeff and me. So I kind of felt awkward, okay? Because they just adopted their kids, so Brahman couldn't go. But like everywhere we went, it was like, oh, we're the third wheels because everybody's on a date but us. This is horrible. You know what I'm saying? But Matt Chandler comes up and he starts talking about circumstances in life as far as pain and suffering. And I had grown cold with, I have, I have like a really bad back, and it's not a sob story, but like for five years, I just really haven't been able to do much of what I wanted to do. So I kind of stopped praying. I kind of grew cold, and I was like, well, God, you know what? You're going to do whatever you're going to do. You obviously don't want to heal my back, so whatever. And I stopped asking, because I'd been let down, right? My hope was hinging on God freeing me from that circumstance, not Jesus through it, not what he might do refining me through it. So we're at this conference and Matt says, look, I, I think there's people in here like if, Matt Chandler that is, if you want to stand up, if you're having medical issues, if you're in pain, and you've gone to doctors, you've switched your diet, whatever it is, you've tried everything with no results, I just want you to stand up right now, we're going to pray for you, and I'm telling you, there's nothing special or different about pastors, but it was just a rad time, where all these pastors from all over the world are just gathering around few people to pray, and it, it took me, it was so hard to stand up in that moment, because I, I just doubted that God even wanted to do anything in my circumstance, but this is what happened, Matt says this, guys, listen, there's a way it's possible to be content in every circumstance, but still cry out to your dad, your father who loves you, to take whatever it is away because he really does care for you. And this hit me. He said two words. He said he's able. I was like, I know that, right? And this is stubborn me, not wanting to stand up because it's been years. I'm like, I know he's able, but he's not doing anything. And he said this word, you have to know that he's willing and I sat there thinking about that word. So I'm like, wait, if God's willing to take it away, wouldn't he just do it? Wouldn't he just do it if he's able and willing? That's the perfect combo. Jeez. But this is, guys, I stood up. Everybody prayed for me. I'm like, God, I know you love me. I know you're good. No joke. Tears flooding down my face because God has finally reminded me that he loves me and he's willing to take it away but I stood up everybody prayed guess what no healing no healing but hear me out to hear that God was willing changed me because now I know yeah of course he's like I would totally do that but I got something even better Mitch I got something even better for you I can't even tell you guys how much I've like paused in pain and God used little moments to just speak to my heart and remind me about his character and nature because of my back over and over again. And he's refining me and refining me and refining me. He's taking me through a wilderness that I don't necessarily want to be in. And I know he's good, so I know he'd take me out of it. But geez, I want what's best. I want what God says is best. 
So at the end of these prayers, when I'm crying out, I say, God, I'm in this circumstance, and I just, I just don't want to be here. This stinks. At the end of those prayers, I want to come back, and I want to beg God for contentment, to see things as he sees them, not the way I see them. My perspective gets off. Last one, guys. This is uh, totally freeing. Uh, when it comes to hearing from the Lord in circumstance and seeing his handiwork, uh, it's, it's not about you, it's about the kingdom. It's not about you, it's about the kingdom. And originally, uh, I had it all planned. I'm a young guy, like, I was just going to rebuke everybody. You know, I was like, stop being selfish. But then it hit me that this truth, that it's not about me, it's not all about you, but it's about something way bigger. Guess what? When I allow that to sink into my heart, I'm freed. It is so freeing to know that everything doesn't revolve around me. It is so freeing to know that I'm not the center that God is. In the stories we read, did you guys realize that the outcome of the situations really didn't have anything to do with the people in them anyways? It's like, why did Paul and Silas go to prison? Why did they go through all that stuff? Because God had sheep that were his, and he was going to save them. God used them to bring people into the kingdom. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, this theme goes on. God says this, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless your name. I'm going to make your name great. So that you'll be a blessing to other people. That's what God's doing, man. So many times, I know that when I get lured into to thinking that it's just all about me, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm discontent. But truly, my greatest joy is found when we're living for Jesus, the kingdom, and other people. So guys, if, if, you're, in a, if you're in a circumstance, if you're in a circumstance that you just don't want to be in, I found, man, if I'm only thinking about myself, it stinks. If Paul and Silas were only thinking about themselves in prison again, they would have split. As soon as the walls fell down, the jailer and his family never would have got saved. God, in this situation, in this circumstance, what are you doing that's way bigger than me that I can't see? Help me to get a glimpse of that. So guys, be free and know that it's not about you. So you guys, you're sitting here, right? I, I think it's funny. One thing, one thing I didn't want to do is um, spend a whole series on hearing from God, just debunking things that we shouldn't do, right? I just didn't want to leave you guys like kind of like, oh, well, is God even speak? Is he even alive? Yeah, he is. But you may be thinking, all right, this is a little confusing. What, what's, the, what's the formula? Like, Mitch, I'm... Trust me, I am not smart. I need a formula, right? If I just had something that I could just put on my wall, like if you want to hear from God through circumstances, do this, 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 and this. But guys, there, there is no formula at all. Why? Because we can't take God and put him in a box so that we can understand him better. But I do know this. Whether I feel like I'm seeing God move 
or whether I feel like I'm hearing God's voice in the day to day or not you know what I'm supposed to do I'm supposed to go I don't want to sit back wasting my entire life waiting for God to split the skies open so that I do something right this isn't like okay my whole life is hinging on God moving through circumstance no God already gave me my marching orders I'm to go to the end of the earth and make disciples that's what I'm supposed to do I have the message of the cross and the message of the gospel and I'm going to proclaim it and preach it to as many people as I possibly can till Jesus either splits open the skies to come back riding on the white horse or I die that's what I'm all about that's what we as Christians are all about Guys, if you feel like you can see God orchestrating something in front of you, praise Him. He doesn't even have to reveal that to you, but if you see it, then take a step of faith. Go. Don't live in fear. Don't be afraid. He's not going to leave you, forsake you. God is for you. So if you're sitting here going, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Do something. And then if you're sitting there and you see God working, good. Take a step of faith and go. Because what happened? What's the worst that can happen, right? If you're living for the kingdom and you know that God's sovereign, then you're trusting in his purposes. And you know that you're praying for contentment. And you're looking at all these things. You're like, oh, it's not even about me. It's about the kingdom. God, what are you doing? Awesome. If you see him doing something, then go. And if you take a wrong step, God's not going to sit there and curse you. Right? He's a redeemer. He's going to use that. And he's going to use it for his glory and for your good to make you more like Jesus. Guys, and, and last thing, I'll leave you with this and then we'll worship with one more song. And this is huge. This is foundational to the gospel we're a gospel centered church you have to hear this okay I want to be a man that that has special counsel with God I want to be a man that prays and listens to the Lord but my hope and your hope to hear God and see him working through life circumstances does not rest on your ability or my ability to see it but it completely rests on God's grace and his ability to speak and soften our hearts to hear and see what he might be doing over and over again everything we do is about the grace of God even this because I can fall into a trap and say oh I gotta become way more holy so I can hear what God is doing and I want to mature in Christ in that way but ultimately I have to remember that at the end of the day I'm still a man in need of grace and mercy over and over again and my hope rests not on myself but on God he's a God that speaks he's a God that moves even to this day guys I'm just thankful for this body that right now we get to acknowledge that and lay our lives before the Lord Say, all right, I'm, I'm maybe like Mitch. It's hard to see when you're moving, but God, I trust that you are. And I trust that you're good. I trust that you're working. You're not stagnant. You're not disengaged. And Lord, right now we get to give you praise. We get to come before the throne of grace and sing songs to you. And you get to come in this room and you're manifesting yourself and we can, we can know that you're here. That blows my mind. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve to see you move in our lives. When we mess up, God, we don't deserve you coming in and redeeming those situations. But you do. 
thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. We love you, Jesus. Why don't you guys stand and worship with us?